Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney, joined with Trevor. Thank you so much for being here with us today as we're talking about changing your financial behavior. So a really key part of being personal finance savvy is really about your behavior about personal finance. I mean, Trevor, we always say on the show that personal finance is 80% behavior, 20% math. So if personal finance is so much behavior, I think it's time that we dedicate an episode to talking about behavior and not, not just superficially, but actually how to go about changing it. Yeah, I think this is really important. The People don't get into debt because they, they don't know math. I mean, it, it, they it, 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 personal finance is, is so emotion-driven that it, it is all about your behavior and how to control it, how to manage it. And before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about this month's challenge. We're doing Minimalism May. And for Minimalism May, we've decided to create a PDF takeaway for this. It's up on our website at livelifesimple.ca. We'll have our website and our show links. If you haven't visited before, definitely take a peek at it. It's under our 2017 monthly challenges and giveaway. This uh, this giveaway is under there. And what we're doing this month is there's 31 days in May. So every day of the, of the month, what you're going to do is you're going to take an object and you're either going to throw it away, you're going to recycle it, or you're going to donate it. And for each of those actions, so throw away, recycle, or donate, you're going to allocate a point to each. So donate is worth three points, recycle is two, and garbage is one. So by the end of the month, you're going to add up all your points. And it's just really a nice challenge you can do with yourself, with your family, with friends. And you can compete against each other to see how much you can get rid of and and how how driven you are to really achieve minimalism within your home. So we are going to create a just a blank month takeaway as well. So if, if you're not down to participate this month, pick a month and make it your own minimalism May month. And, and I think it's important to re- revisit just minimalism. The concept is when you're getting when you're going through the process of getting rid of things, you're not getting rid of just random things. The, the whole objective of minimalism is to spare down your life to just the things that add value to your life. So you're getting things that don't add value, things that are taking up space in your life that that you're not getting anything from. Definitely. And it's something Trevor and I really implemented into our own lives and we really value. And I know I, I talked about this in the last episode, but I recently did pare down my clothing, my closet, and it's been amazing. Trevor, what's your most recent minimalism breakthrough or something that's really inspired you lately with minimalism? Well, as, as my kids have moved out of my house, I, I have a lot of kid-related things that I just, I don't use or need anymore. And I'm actually tackling my garage. And I, I, as it stands right now, I could probably park one car in there, but I'd like to be in a position where I could park two cars. So I, I have a lot of stuff I can, I'm going to get rid of. I'm going to have a yard sale. So that, that's kind of where my focus is right now. Where I know this is an episode on minimalism, but uh, just just to give our listeners a little bit of inspiration for minimalism before we jump into the core of today's episode, what's been the hardest part about being a parent, maybe in parting with all these childhood memories that are within these items that your children have used over the years? Well, one thing I've, I've come to realize is the memories are not in the artifacts themselves. You know, the memories are in your mind, in in your in your head, and it's. 
convincing yourself that, you know, this artifact, you know, my, you know, something of my kids that's in a box and has been in a box for 20 years and I've never looked at it. And I happen to open it as I'm sort of junking through things and it'll trigger a memory, but I'm trying to convince myself that I don't need that artifact to trigger the memory. And I'm sure that hasn't been easy because it's natural to, to associate those memories to those items. You know, when you haven't seen it for a long time and then you actually see this thing, you know, whatever it is, a toy or whatever your, your, your child had that, that you had fond memories of, it is hard to get rid of, but it's a process because you, you start to pare away the things that, you know, aren't as meaningful in getting back to the things that are, you know, hold stronger memories. And then you go back at it again and you, you pare that group down and, and, and you keep getting rid of the things that have the least fond memories. And before you know it, you're down to a few items. And a very, very great strategy, one that I've, I, I've actually used, is taking pictures of the those things that do bring such memories to you and that you can look at the pictures and the pictures can bring, bring back the memories as opposed to the actual object because some of these childhood toys are huge and holding on to them, it's just not practical. So taking pictures, I find, has been such an effective um, tool for me. You know, I agree. One of the, one of the t- toys my children had was this great big kitchen center and it takes up a lot of space. It's not something you can set on a bookshelf, so it's... It's something that, you know, a picture is going to going to have to do the do the trick. Okay, so that was a little bit on our minimalism May. Again, all the information is up on our website at livelifesimple.ca. So definitely check out our website and grab that PDF takeaway. If you're listening to this on May 8th, so when we release this on Monday, uh, just go back and get rid of seven items to catch yourself up. So let's get into today's episode on changing your behavior. So when Trevor and I were thinking about how to go about this episode, we kind of broke changing your financial behavior down to three core things. So there's the perspective, change, and then behavior. Because changing your financial behavior is not, changing behavior in general is not something that's just done easily. There's a lot of things behind it. And the things behind it are really perspective and change the reason to change why to change and then the perspective behind that so trevor let's this is such a big concept to unpack so let's delve first into perspective yeah so perspective really a lot of people confuse perspective and perception and so perception is what is you know what is currently your environment and you might walk into a room and the room is cold you know, you perceive, your perception is that this room is cold. Perspective is your your reaction to or your attitude toward that cold room. And so perspective is the perception you can't change. It is what it is. But perspective is something you can change. So perspective is one of those things where you, you can change it without changing the inputs, meaning without changing the temperature of that room you can change your, how you perceive that cold room. You could perceive it negatively or positively. So perspective around money is another, uh, you know, you could look at your perspective of, you, you know, you have too much debt or you, you don't have enough income. I absolutely love that distinction because, I mean, the words alone sound similar, so I feel that their meanings constantly do get uh, mixed up and intertwined. I do want to talk about how um, perspective really comes into play with with personal finance in that sometimes the idea that you can change the inputs is too heavily 
uh, thought about or, or weighed in on as in, oh, if I made more money, that's the input, I could be out of debt, your output. So I really like the idea and I, I don't, I, I don't want to push this too far as in, oh, this is how much money I make and that's, that's all the money I'm going to make because it's always good to dream bigger and, and aspire to make more. That's always, that's positive. It's, it's positive to want to move forward. But if you make that a, a factor in that, if, if you look at perspective in the wrong way and that you're constantly feeling self-pitying towards yourself because of your input, I think that's a debilitating mindset. If you think of perspective around money, so a lot of people perceive somebody's wealth and you know, if they drive a fancy car or they own a large house, that that could be perceived as consumption of wealth, not wealth itself. It, it, you know, I perceive uh, wealth as as being able to have freedom. So, having a lot of money, I perceive you know that as if I have a, a high savings amount, I I perceive that as freedom. When I see someone driving an expensive car. I don't perceive that as wealth. Me, I, I perceive that my perception of that expensive car is a consumption of wealth. That's a great point, Trevor. I really like that because it's 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 just like your example when you go to work and you can admire and appreciate the fact that your colleagues went on vacation, but you also see in your mind as well the uh, financial consequences of that decision. Yeah, that's a that's actually a really good example. So I, I really, and I think, we've talked about this in past episodes, I think that is, I mean, we talked about how the, my first question when I, when I see something is, what are the financial impacts of this decision? Not, oh, that will be so much fun, but what are the financial impacts? That's the first question that always crossed my mind any time a financial decision comes my way. So I think, I think that's a very healthy perspective to look at everything at other people's perceived wealth or your perception of their wealth in what are the financial impacts of that, of their decision to have this or do this. I think it's safe to say that change in perspective can be the difference between success and failure in personal finance. I completely agree because like I, like I just said a few minutes earlier, perspective is really the transition between Owning your current situation and feeling comfortable in your current situation and really and really just being confident with where you are, regardless of your actual income, as opposed to feeling that you are controlled by your finances and that you are a victim of your financial decisions. As soon as you let money put you in an inferior position, you haven't you've lost Going back to your early example about perspective, which I think is important to note and which related to what uh, what I just said a few moments earlier, in that if the room is too cold, our listeners can be saying, them, saying to themselves, why don't you just turn the heat up? But that really defeats the purpose of having a perspective because maybe in that moment, you can't adjust the room temperature. So I think we get so easily sucked into the idea that we can change something as it is so well, the we best to- example the best example of that is the use of credit so when people perceive they don't have enough money or, or they want something they can't afford they, they'll go borrow money for it so uh, that that kind of does reason check you know people are always wanting to change the inputs rather than change their perspective about a situation exactly that's that's a phenomenal example and and that that right there summarizes 
this whole thing up. And I think that's what we easily lose sight of. So I think, like I was saying earlier, it's important to, I think, just and maybe in the moment just realize like just realize that these this is the input I cannot change the input to the extent of like I was saying earlier that you, you don't want to you don't want to be moving forward and you don't want to be um, stagnant you still want to be aspiring to make more but in the moment at a day-to-day level realize that your inputs are fixed your income well, is fixed well the danger of that though is you could fall into the victim mentality so you're your perception is, you know, I have a hopeless situation. I can't change the inputs, meaning I have no more money. And, the, you know, I'm doomed to this scenario for the rest of my life. So the danger of going too far the other way is adopting a victim mentality. And once you you succumb to the victim mentality, you become powerless to change anything. So, Trevor, we've talked about perspective. Let's move on to change. So, this episode is called Changing Your Behavior. So let's talk about the actual change part. Yeah, so change requires two ingredients. And this is something I got out of a book by Andy Andrews called uh, Little Things, Why You Should Really Sweat the Small Stuff. And I've just started that book, and it's a really good book uh, so far. I'm, I'm going to give a recommendation when I'm done. But in that book, he talks about change has two ingredients. In, in order for change to happen. So the first one is value. What's in it for me? So if someone's going to be motivated to change, they need to know what's in it for them. And that sounds very selfish, but it, it's true. We need to be motivated to change. And the second ingredient is some sort of proof of a positive outcome or a desired outcome. So a good example of this, and it's not finance related, is, is people going on diets to lose weight. Well, What's in it for me? Well, you know, I'm going to fit into the clothes that I, I want to wear. But what the, the usually the ingredient that stops a diet from succeeding is the proof of a positive outcome. Unfortunately, a lot of times the, the proof isn't 100% or it, it takes a long time to unfold. And so people lose motivation or lose faith in, in that, that, that that change is going to actually bring the outcome they want. So what's in it for me? And some sort of proof of positive outcome. Those are the two ingredients that need to be present for change to take place. So I, I really think you summed it up. The The most challenging part about change is the proof of a positive outcome. So in, in terms of personal finance, sometimes that positive outcome is way, way, way out on the horizon. So how do you get motivated to, to achieve that positive outcome? Well, it's a process, right? So in, in like we talked about in our... our take action April challenge is you've got to break your change your changing process into smaller increments smaller pieces that show outcomes more often and we talked about the debt snowball isn't a good example is if you if you want if you the change you you want is to become debt free that that could take a long time depending how much debt you have but if you take all your debts and you line them up as smallest to largest and you start knocking off and, and, and paying off those debts you end up a small win. So you end up getting the positive outcome a little bit at a time. So I think you need to be, you know, break your, your goals into smaller pieces to, to, to be able to, to experience that positive outcome. And because to your example, when you pay off that small debt, you're going to apply the same pra- practices, principles that you used to pay off that small debt to the next largest debt and so on before, before you know it, you've paid off your largest debt with the same 
uh, same amount of, of self-discipline and uh, strategic decisions. So Trevor, I change change is definitely this all-encompassing um, entity. Let's talk about some misconceptions about change. Yeah, so in, in this book by Andy Andrews, he has three misconceptions about change, and, and I think these are really important because if you don't understand, first you need to understand what motivates people to change, but then don't fall into the trap of thinking you, you're, how change unfolds. So the first one is change takes time, and that's, that's completely false. Change happens in a moment. It may take you a long time to get motivated to change. You may do a lot of planning leading up to the change, but when you ch- when change happens, it happens in a moment. And a, a good example is, say you work for a big corporation and they go through a reorganization and a bunch of people get uh, terminated. Well, that termination, you know, there was a lot of planning and, and a lot of meetings and deliberation that led up to that. But when you lose your job, you lose it in a moment. It happens instantly. When you pay off your debt, it's paid off in a moment. A lot of time and then changing behavior led up to that, but it happens in a moment. And the second one is you need a desire to change. And this one's not true because I'll go back to the job thing. Change can be imposed on you. You could lose your job. It's not something you desire, but you could lose your job. If you don't have your financial house in order and you don't uh, you know, you, you let your debt get out of control, your home can be taken away from you. It's not something you desire, but it can happen. And the third one, and this is the one people fall victim to the most, is you need to hit rock bottom to change. And that is is definitely not true. We may choose to wait until then, wait till the last possible moment to make change, and and it may appear that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. These are, these are, I, I love all these misconceptions because they are ones that are very commonly um, associated with change. So I do agree with you, Trevor, that change happens in a moment. That's, yes, I, things happen in a moment. But I feel like you, you know, can't... you know, I, I want to say somebody, a younger person, you know, they're, they have made so little change in their lives. You know, that a lot of what happens to somebody, I'll say, some of our younger listeners, a lifestyle has been imposed on them. You know, they're they're told to go to school. They're told to get an education. They're told to go to post-secondary. They're told to get a summer job. They, they haven't had to, they haven't had the option to make changes in their lives. You know, their life's been pretty much imposed upon them. But they, the re, you know, our younger listeners are reaching the plateau where they, they they may need to make change. You know, they haven't really had an opportunity to develop bad habits. I, I do agree with that. And I do, I, I guess, I, I, I think change, if you think about change, you can think about, oh, I'm just going to gonna change change where I live or, or change what what my job. I'm just going to, I'm just going to change that. And I think that's a certain kind of change, but kind of more of an external behavioral change. But internally, when you decide to to save or to do something different per, like personal finance wise I think there's this whole you need the shift of mentality and there's a lot of mental cha- main, mental change that has to accompany the actual physical change because yes like I was saying change does happen in a moment but in order for change to be successful you have to 
have this mentality that accompanies it. Well, I think that goes back to perspective. So if you change your perspective in a moment, you can change an outcome in a moment. So it, it kind of goes back to that, I, I think. Definitely. And I, th- I, think, I think the aspect of, of me- mentally getting on board, I think, might be the toughest part of change. Because on paper, all your misconceptions are very true. But in reality, it's hard sometimes to translate those, the actual, uh, the actual aspects of change to your own life. Because change is, change is uncomfortable. Change does not feel good. Yeah, no, in, in growth comes from a, a point of discomfort for sure. Definitely. And I, th- I think that's why this whole concept of change is, is, is one that is so important because no one likes to do things that are uncomfortable. Change is, and you know what, even the, there's even a thing that positive and negative change it causes anxiety. I mean, it, things like getting married and having, having a child those are all positive changes, but statistics and stats show that that does cause a level of anxiety to your life, and and it adds this level of uh, of uncertainty, and it, it adds it adds it adds it adds some uncomfortability to your life. So, change all around, I don't think is supposed to feel good, which is why we why we associate it so negatively sometimes. Um. So, Trevor, let's move on to the last uh, last bit of the this three kind of part breakdown behavior is our last one yeah so behavior really is it's i can break it into two things it's getting something you want something you like or want or or escaping something you don't like or don't want and those are the two things that are going to motivate a, a change in behavior or behavior in general so a good example of I'll say buying a, a new car and not wanting to accumulate a large amount of debt, one of those is going to win out over the other. And it's it's your perspective that's going to drive that. So if if you have your perspective aligned with your values, then your behavior will lead you down the right path. I want to talk about when it comes to behavior, the idea of positive and negative reinforcement in that I think we do live in a society where we receive a lot of positive reinforcement and that the idea to buy a vehicle we can't afford is positively reinforced when we are granted the, uh, the loan from the bank to do so. So the whole negative consequence um, area when it comes to personal finance and credit cards are the same thing. It's not all quite there, or as much as, as much as it should be. Well, the flip side of you're right to talk about the consequences, but the you know if if you back that that scenario up and look at the trigger that led to that consequence, I mean that's where the behavior starts, right? It starts with the trigger, and understanding your triggers is really understanding your behavior. So if seeing uh, a friend with a brand new car is your trigger, then you're probably in the wrong circle of friends. If, if in fact, being debt-free is your goal or or where you want to be. Definitely. And again, backing, and I, I, like, I like that we've talked about perspective and change before behavior because backing your trigger up even more is just having the right perspective in order not to be triggered 
by someone with a nice car because if, if you were triggered to buy a new car every time you saw a nice car then you'd have a yard full of cars so I, I think I, I think again this it always goes back to your perception your perspective and 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 really if you you have to master you have to master having the right perspective about things and and being in this healthy place with um with yourself and what and and really understanding what you value before you can make behavioral changes towards towards your ultimate financial goals so let's so we've worked through perspective change and behavior now let's apply this finally to your financial side of things and let's talk about how changing behavior with your money is really a process yeah i like to think of you know it, it's going to be pretty hard to go from uh, being in a mountain of debt to being somebody with a huge savings account so obviously it's a process you first you change your perspective then you you dis, you decide what's going to motivate you to change and then you change that behavior so if you think about that transition, you go from overspending to repaying debt to saving money. That that's a a transitional process, and you know doing that's going to give you uh, desired outcomes in in little increments. So if you break it down to three questions: why we use credit, why we would choose to repay credit, and why we would choose to save money. You know, if you kind of ask those three questions you might get the answer to why you might change your behavior. If you think about it, you, you have to set goals at each of those plateaus, right? So you, your first goal should be to stop overspending. And once you've achieved that, you, meaning your debt stops growing, you, so you've stopped overspending, then you can transition into repaying debt so your debt starts to shrink. And then once your debt is gone, you can move into another plateau of, of goal setting of saving money so it it's really small wins along the way that are going to get you there but i don't think that those three things happen in a in as linear of a sense as how you're describing it and that you don't your debt doesn't completely have to be gone before you start saving money i think those can happen a little bit more simultaneously in order to have small little wins for both areas in that you you into if you start saving a little bit of money as you're paying debt off your debt, I think you'll have a small win in each area. I don't know if I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I kind of visualize what you described as a as a three burner camp stove, and if you do that, none of those three burners get really hot enough to make you know to make a a noticeable change. Meaning you know things don't get heated up. So. If you try to do all three of those a little bit at a time, I think you may get demotivated. But I think you could get each. I think if you don't do all three at the same time, it'll seem a little bit, or I guess all both too. We'll talk about repaying debt and saving money. I think it might each may seem a little bit too overwhelming in that if you don't save a little bit of money while you're paying off your debt, both may seem overwhelming if you're if focusing all your attention on each and that putting money aside looks like a small win while you're repaying your debt. Well, it, it, it could be a, it, it could work for certain people. I know for me personally, I, I chose to become debt free before saving, you know, doing any, I guess I did do a little bit of saving. Maybe you have something there. I, I'm, I'm just talking about a little bit of saving in that. And you, and because if you, if you have a pile of debt and all you're doing is paying off debt, 
it's it's just probably a good thing. idea to have an emergency fund set aside, which is yeah. a form of savings while you're repaying debt. Because if an emergency shows up and you don't have any savings, you just end up with more debt. Yeah, yeah. And, and it kind of it's in that way you work towards your tiny goal of having having the savings built up. You're kind of it's little a small win. Oh, I have a little bit of savings there. That's a small win. Yeah, I would agree. So, Trevor, let's. So we talked about our transition behaviors. So. Our first, the first behavior of, of, of spending money is overspending. So overspending really goes along with credit. So why do we use credit? Why are we even overspending in the first place? Well, it, it comes down to two questions, you know, whether to get something we, we like or want or to avoid or escape something we don't like or don't want. So if you think about, you know, reasons I've used credit in the past, they might be important impulse type decisions like buying a house or a car or consumer goods that I really can't afford. Another reason we use credit is, is in an emergency, a repair, an illness, some sort of unforeseen event. So that's a, a case where, you know, we didn't have an emergency fund and we use credit in its place. And another time we borrow money is to buy, to invest in things like education. So we see a long-term benefit. So we borrow money. So we use money, we use credit, or we overspend for good and bad reasons, but generally, you know, it's, it's a mindset that, that that's the tool we're using. So what, what will it take to change this behavior? I want to go back to your um, idea of good or bad reasons. I think we just have to walk that line very closely and that you can justify anything to yourself. Of course, I think anyone can say that education is always a positive positive reason to spend money but I think we can convince ourselves that buying a new car is maybe that we don't need is also a good idea too oh yeah I agree with that you 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 have to uh, well I'm saying in this transition if you have the mindset that using credit for any of these things is uh you know we're talking about changing behavior we're talking about moving away from thinking that's a viable option in it for all of these so so you say, what would it take to change your mindset? So using credit for any anything is a good idea. So what's in it for me? And some sort of proof of a, of a positive outcome. So what would, what's in it for me to not, you know, to change my behavior, to not go to credit for any, for any reason? Uh, what, what's in it for me? It could be my personal freedom. Freedom to choose a job that I want, not a job that delivers a certain income you know, that, that can use to, to finance my debts. And some sort of proof of a positive outcome is maybe have somebody in your life that you know has been debt-free for a long time and, and you see that person ex- who's extremely happy, extremely content, and maybe has a very engaging and rewarding job because of that. So to me, to, to change your behavior from, you know, credit is a viable option for any of my financial solutions to change that behavior is to answer those two questions. What's in it for me and some proof of a positive outcome. So you're, so you're saying that we should always move our mentality away from thinking credit is a good idea, even in circumstances such as education. I'm probably describing a utopian world where credit is, you know, it doesn't exist. So I, I mean, this isn't going to work, uh, in every scenario, but if, if you can just change your behavior and, and view credit as 
is a last resort, maybe a, a compromise in, in, in that mentality. So it's more of an over credits, more of an overarching philosophy than a mentality. And so I, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. So just think of it credit as, as something you shouldn't use, but when it comes to affording, um, a home, I mean, I, I hope, I mean, not, I don't think there's many people who pay for their home with cash. So things like that where credit are necessary, but it's, it's more of the day-to-day uh, mentality, how you go about things on a, uh, a daily basis. A good example is people, th- you know, it's, it's just assumed that when you buy a car, you're going to borrow money to buy it. You know, nobody entertains the idea of actually saving up money and buying a used car they can actually afford. No, no, that, that's just, it's, it's not commonplace. People just don't do that. I mean, so that's a, a behavioral thing in our society that, you know, you, you have a car, you borrow money to buy it. And I'm saying it doesn't have to be that way. That, that, that's, that's a mindset that, that a behavior, a perception that needs to change. I like that because that's that's a societal mindset. There's a lot of those, and I'm sure we could we could spend a whole episode breaking down societal perceptions and perspectives that have been so ingrained to us that we we don't even we don't even realize that they're there. Like if you think of borrowing money, what you're doing is you're t- you're, you're not you know unless you're buying a home which goes up in value, just generally consumer goods. So not education, not a home, things that go down in value. You're not leveraging your money. You're just time shifting it. You've just you just moved when that when you owe that money from now to thirty days from now. You haven't leveraged it. You haven't done anything to expand your money supply. You've only time shifted it. So there, there's zero gain in consumer debt. So you're saying that there's absolutely no reason for credit. I'm saying we need to change our perception and our behavior around credit. I, I'm saying. It, it 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 exists for everybody will have access to credit it just needs to be it, it can't be your go-to strategy so let's move on to number two why we choose to repay credit so this is the second beha- second transition behavior yeah so if you can convince yourself to stop using credit irresponsibly the next stage is motivating yourself or changing your behavior in such a way that you'll be motivated to repay credit. So again, you ask the two questions. To get something you like or want, or to escape something you don't like or want. So in this case, I'm going to say a good reason to repay credit is to eliminate the dependency on a job maybe you don't like. So that would be a great reason to become debt-free, is to maybe get out of a dead-end, soul-crushing job that you have. So by paying back debt, you all of a sudden you open up job opportunities that you may have not been able to consider in the past. So you really need to ask the two questions. If you're going to make this change, you know, value, what's in it for me, and some sort of proof of a positive outcome. So being, you know, choosing to repay your debt. We talked about the debt snowball and that strategy with the small wins and staying motivated. But the proof of a positive outcome, you know, it, it may not look like a positive outcome. You're, you're going to, on the surface, be depriving yourself of things. You know, you won't be driving a new car while you're trying to repay debt. You won't be buying fancy toys when you're trying to repay debt. So this one's a really hard one to stay motivated because t- to make this change, you know, what's in it for me while well, being debt-free, I'll have less stress in my life. But some sort of proof of a positive outcome, 
boy, that, that's a tough sell. It, 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 you really have to stay true to a plan. And I can say this is the hardest transition of the three is motivating yourself to pay repay debt because when you stop using credit, that you know that's easy. Uh, stress begins to leave your life, but when you start repaying debt, you, you you see a lot of money going out and on the surface, nothing in return. So it's this one's a really hard one to stay motiv- motivated for. How do you personally stay motivated for this? Well, so I I have again it comes down to goal setting because I I had this goal of retiring at fifty five and. Part of that goal means being debt-free. And so when I was going down the road, I, I, I deprived myself of a lot of things. Uh, at the beginning, I felt like I was depriving myself. But as I got closer and closer to my goal, I, I felt the freedom. I felt, you know, if I had a bad day at work, I, I felt like, you know, maybe I could just walk out of here, you know, and just say I'm done. And I, Not that I did that, but I, I, I certainly felt I... I had more ability to do that if, if things got really bad. So being debt-free, uh, repaying that debt, as I got closer and closer to the end, it was I was more and more motivated. So the, the proof of a positive outcome was greater and greater the closer I got to being debt-free. And I do think, realistically, when you are making change, there are going to be moments where Maybe you won't be able to see either the value, what's in it for me, or the proof of a positive outcome. But I think in those small little moments where you can't see either, I, I think it is important to note that when you are making change, though, there there is that, that weird in-between stage where you started your change process, but you're not quite close to the end of actually achieving, actualizing that, that change, and that maybe you can't see the value of what's in it for me, and you can't see... Um, a form of positive outcome but I, I think those in that small window of time or large depending how what your goal is that you really just have to conjure up this this sense of uh, determination and drive and really push through because there are moments I, I think that you just you you won't be able to see either of those and those are the moments that are really going to make the difference between actualizing the change and not actualizing the change well, I agree with you that, that you do hit rough patches and that's where it's good to document your goals, document your plan, because if it's written down, there's some level of account, there's some level of accountability there. So I, I think I agree with you that it, you, you will hit rough stretches where it's hard to stay motivated. But I, I think if you, if you're documented and maybe, you know, you, you've told people of your goals or your, your aspirations and, and they'll ho- help hold you accountable as well. And even writing down um, in the beginning when you start making changes, when you start changing behavior and working towards achieving a goal, if you write down what you did and how it felt, oh, I made my first payment on this, it felt amazing. And then if you keep rereading these, how you felt in those moments, it, it, it's, it'll keep you going because you'll remember how good it felt in those moments. And uh, Trevor, I think it could, it's easy to sit here and say that, and that's the thing with change. It's easy to look at the steps to achieve change, but we all know that it's such, it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult than it is on paper. And it's so personal and it's so challenging that we could sit here and talk about how you can actually change, but we do have to admit that it's, it's not easy. You do make some good points there. And I would like to tie all of those back to uh, having the right perspective 
on the situation. And those having a, the wrong perspective, meaning a negative perspective about your financial situation will lead to the things you described without, without a doubt. So revisiting your perspective is very important. Last but not least, why we save money that this is the last part of the transition behavior and that so we've gone from overspending to repaying debt to why should we save money and the motivation behind wanting to do that well this would be the easiest one to get motivated for because you actually see the 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 money start to grow you know and and when that money grows you start to feel security and freedom from uh I'll say from a job or from an, from obligations, you end up having options. So you, you know, you, you end up doing both. You, you get something you want or like, and you avoid or escape something you don't like or want. So you, you end up answering both of those. And then again, to change what's in it for me and some proof of a positive outcome. Well, what's in it for me that that feeling of freedom is, is what's in it for you. And the proof of the positive outcome is your, you know, the accounts that your money's accumulating in. So in, I, I found this the easiest of the, of the transition is, is staying motivated to save money. It's almost habit forming. Once you start to save money and you see it grow, you almost don't want to spend it because it, it'll, you know, dwindle your, your balance. So you, it, this one for me was, it was the easiest. And this this episode is actually a lead into uh our, one of our next episodes on um effective ways of saving money and this actually this idea actually came from one of our listeners mark thank you for the suggestion we it, of doing such a such a kind of basic episode of just effective ways of saving money but we thought that before we have an episode on that we actually needed to I mean, saving money is awesome and it's needed. But before we can even talk about strategies to save money, we have to, we had to do this episode first of how do we actually change our behavior in order to save money? Because that's, I think, where it sometimes falls apart. We all want to save money. But in order to do that, we needed this episode about changing your behavior, undergoing change. And then and then finally, the, the behavior behind all of that. So that is our next episode. So thank you, Mark, for that suggestion. But this episode is definitely the, um, the fundamental behind it. So Trevor, now that we've talked about all three of these elements that are really behind change, let's talk about a four-step solution to making a change. So I'll just run through them and then we'll break them down. So number one is identify the behavior you want to change. Number two is identify what's in it for you. Number three, identify the trigger. And four, develop a strategy. So number one, identify the behavior you want to change. And I, this often appears as a daily habit. Yeah, in identif- identifying the behavior, you really need to ask yourself sort of, you know, when does this behavior occur? occur? Is it on the weekend or during the weekdays, you know, the work week? Or is it a certain time of day? Uh, is it with big purchases or small purchases? Or is it with certain kinds of friends? Or is it when you're alone? So... Once you identify the behavior you want to change, and the, again, it, it usually is hidden in those daily habits. Once you identify that, then then you can only, you can move forward. But you have to identify the negative behavior first. I absolutely love how you have kind of breaking it down to these little elements because 
Sometimes when you're trying to identify what you want to change, it's difficult. But I love how you've breaking it down into um, the time of the day and the, the type of purchase it is and who you're with. Like those are incredible, crucial elements. And this is actually a good framework. I'm gonna we're gonna post it on our website because I think this would be a great framework to refer back to and go through every time you're t- wanting to make any change. Uh, identifying a behavior of mine that I wanted to change was my weakness for electronic gadgets. And it would happen when I was alone. So I wasn't able to bounce, you know, do I need this off of people like my wife? And it would happen in these big box stores like Best Buy or or, or Staples has an electronic section. Even Walmart has an electronic section. And these weaknesses would happen in those places. So I, I knew I was alone and I knew it was a certain kind of store. And I, I just stopped going to those places unless somebody was with me. I, I love your example. I want to break it down to an even simpler example. And like we were saying before, the snowball effect of working on something small and easily changeable and easily achievable to something bigger, a small example and one that could probably apply to many people. And I'm not saying this is something everyone wants to change, but um, something as simple as purchasing less coffee when you're out. So This may happen during the weekday. It could happen in the morning when you're heading to work and you're feeling super groggy. It's a small purchase, of course. It's it's only it's only a couple dollars, and maybe it's alone when you're in your car and um, you're convincing yourself you need this to get make it through the day. So, I mean, this one is super achievable, and I think this could be a small win. Where if you find if you're if you make it a whole week with and you feel good about your 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 change and this is something you could stick to, it might inspire you to then work towards your change, Trevor, of buying less electronic um gadgets. Because if you work on something that's not as I mean, not buying a coffee every day, I'm sure people are not going to lose sleep over that. So just something that simple and small is where this framework is incredible because it can apply towards small purchases like coffee and large purchases like vehicles. No, I agree. It, it, it's hidden everywhere. It's so identifying the negative behavior you want to change is is so critical. So let's move on to number two. Identify what's in it for you. So what is currently motivating you to want to make that change? Well, this sounds very selfish and 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 uh, very. Uh, so, so this one sounds very selfish and, and what's in it for me kind of, I, I don't know, has a negative tone to it, but deep down, we're all in it for what's in it for us. So you got to find out what's motivating the behavior you want to change. So it, it's, and it, it, a lot of times it's what you think you want, not what you actually want, it, or it's what you think you should want. This is a phenomenal point, and I think one that we continually try to drive home on with every episode of simple money solutions and that you really need to live in a kind of a hipster underground alternative personal finance lifestyle and that you do everything that no one else is doing because when you follow the mainstream when you follow what everyone else is doing that's when you get yourself into trouble when you don't go on vacations just because what everyone else is, when you don't buy the latest iPhone just because everyone else is, that's when you make the smartest financial decisions. So when you really think for yourself and don't follow the uh, the masses is when you know you're doing things because you want to do them. 
Yeah, I agree with that. You know, so if you say what's in it for me, it's usually in the form of a long-term goal. You know, if you ask yourself what's in it for me, it's not a me. It's not what's right in front of you right now, or or, or what's in it for you today or tomorrow. It's what's in it for you for the long term. Yeah, and I think you uh, going back to the idea of this sounds like a selfish thing to say. I think it needs to be selfish. You need to do something and and make make a decision for completely you because at the end of the day it's your personal finance and you're the one with to deal with your personal finance decisions not anyone else so you really this is the area in your life where you need to be extremely selfish and extremely self-centered when you're thinking I mean unless you have a family of course but when it comes to just you and making decisions but when I say self-centered it could be self-centered on your immediate family and those you're financially supporting so you really need to think about you and what is important to you because personal finance is so individualized. So Trevor, let's talk about number three, identify the trigger. So trigger as in time, place, people, previous, or your, even your next action. Yeah, so we talked about identifying the behavior, what's in it for you. Now, what's triggering this behavior? So it, it's, you know, it's a time or place. Um, it's, it, it's shedding that mentality, I deserve this. Maybe you, the circle of friends or people that are influencing you are, are, are influencing you to do the wrong things. And maybe it's, it's a chain reaction of, of things you've done. You know, you, every morning you, you drive by a Tim Hortons, so you pull in and grab a coffee. Well, maybe you need to plan a different route to work. So it's, it's really identifying the triggers. You could even call them weaknesses that you have that are leading to the negative behavior. And in your mind, if identifying the behavior you want to change and identifying the trigger or weakness sound like they are overlapping, they little they are a little bit in that the behavior you want to change does really tie into your into the weakness because maybe you buy a coffee on your way to work because you pass by the Tim Hortons. So the trigger is the Tim Hortons, but the behavior is buying the coffee. So they are very overlapped, um, but but there is a little bit of a distinction, but. And uh, Trevor, I do want to note that they even there even is a thing about. Um, I mean, I've I've heard it tons of times. Is your self restraint and self discipline, and you don't have a limitless supply. You have you're limited, and every decision you make during the course of the day, it could be as simple as deciding what shirt you want to put on. That exerts a percentage of your self discipline that you have within you, and your self discipline does uh, waver depending on your, the amount of sleep you got and and how big the tasks are of that day and all the decisions you have to make. But we only have so much self-discipline to go around. So if you can make decisions that and choices that kind of save some of that, um, that self-discipline for other decisions that's beneficial, such as something as simple as lying out what you want to wear the next day um, on your dresser so that you're ready to go for the next morning so you don't have to make the decision of what to wear. I mean, that's just an example, but... Avoiding the Tim Hortons is one less trigger that is going to exert self-discipline. No, I agree that a lot of times we use up all of our self-discipline before we even get to work. And then what, and, have, what have we got left to deliver on the job? Yeah, and, and, and we're using self-discipline up on small things that don't actually need our self-discipline. Like just small things as in, as in what, to, what to wear. Like that should not be exerting any of our self-discipline. But it, but it does a little bit of percentage of not to self-discipline, but more of kind of decision-making and, 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 and deciding what to do. 
So yeah, no, if you can, and that that's why by the end of the day, if anyone has ever come home from work and ate all of the chips from a bag of chips, you'll, you'll know that it's probably because your self-discipline had, had, has been all used up during the day. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. And last but not least, we have develop a strategy. So determine and validate your new positive outcome. Yeah, so we, we started with identify the behavior, uh, identify what's in it for you, identify the trigger. So now that you've got those sort of three, three things sorted out, now, now develop a strategy to overcome it. And this is really, you know, breaking it into small pieces, you know, breaking down what's causing that behavior and that's, you know, breaking into small solutions is going to be the key. So Trevor, that brings us to the end of this episode. Do you have any final closing thoughts? And can you tie in a book recommendation for our listeners on really getting inspired to create change in their life? So emotion plays a bigger role with money than you think. I mean, we, we spend money with great emotion, but when we earn money, we try to remove the emotion. So it's, you really need to understand that emotion plays a very big role in how you manage and spend your money. You need to know and understand what triggers your behavior, good and bad. Behavior is a habit that can be changed. And I, this is one I, I need to tell myself and remind myself all the time. An inch of action is far better than a mile of intention. And positive change usually comes from a place of discomfort. Fight the urge to seek comfort. Comfort is your enemy. I, those are, those are great, um, great takeaways and uh, your, your book recommendation, Trevor. Well, I, it's a book I've just started. So I, I'm actually listening to the audiobook version of this on audible and it's, uh, by Andy Andrews, uh, little things, why you should really sweat the small stuff. And Andy, the author actually narrates the book and he is very, very engaging, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Make sure you head over to livelifesimple.ca. I'm going to throw up our four-step solution framework for making any behavioral change. So hopefully you can follow that framework when you're making not only personal finance decisions, but any um, behavioral change at all. And make sure you're also checking out Minimalism May and partaking in that. Um, Trevor and I are already underway as well. So we're eight days in as of when this episode is released on Monday. So we're, uh, we're happy you're joining us with that too. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us this week and we will see you back here next Monday until next week. Keep it simple. Keep it simple.